Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Hello, and welcome back. Today, I have on my very special guest, Mr. Tony Blower. Tony founded Blower Tactical Systems. He's uh, the founder of the Spear System. He's got a, a set of impact uh, reduction equipment called High Gear, and he also created the No Fear program, and um, I'm happy to uh, very happy to have you on today. Tony, how are you? Jim, I'm doing good, man. How you doing? Good, 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 man. I'm Like I said, I'm really appreciative. And I was talking to John Correa uh, a couple of months ago when he did this with us, and I told him, I was like, you know, any other time this would be, sound creepy, but with social media, it's kind of the way of the world, right? But I've been following you for a long time, and even some buddies of mine in the CrossFit community have talked about you and what you teach and what you bring to the table in the personal safety and self-defense round. So I've been a fan for a while, and more recently, earlier this year, I actually purchased (laughs) the program last year and wanted to go through it, but my schedule didn't permit. But February this year, I got finally made it through the Protector Symposium 2.0 and listen to your whole two hours and 15 minutes there. And a lot of stuff resonated with me. Uh, And I think, you know, some commonalities that we share is you're a big dog person as best I can tell. And I am too. And you can't ever knock dog people. Um, And the other thing is that you said during that time is that you overthink things. You're an overthinker. And I totally am just like that. So we've got a couple of things in common. And uh, but I'm very appreciative of you doing this with us. And uh, we've got a lot of stuff to cover. So thank you. Before we get started, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about who you are, what your background is, what you do. I think a lot of people, if not most folks, know who you are, at least in the community. Uh, But for those who don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, where to start? Um, you know, 61 years on the planet. So if I start at the beginning, this is going to be a long podcast, but, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my main, my main business is, uh, training military law enforcement. And, uh, but we've also got a strong division that works with self defense instructors, concealed carry instructors, uh, martial artists who are kind of evolving their program to more street uh, training and have been doing that in the uh, early 2000s. So those are the three main divisions, but I've been studying violence, fear, and aggression for 40 years. And, uh, you know, my company, as far as my mission, vision, we're going to focus on, on creating the most realistic and responsible yeah so part two of our mission is not just to you know uh, research and and design the most responsible realistic approach to personal safety but also to uh, create a qualification and certification program to train people in this protocol because it's not just uh, as simple as saying hey we and you know we do that too. Uh, this scope, just to break it down as simply as possible, we study the neurobiology of fear, the impact that physiology has on kinesiology, because that actually will uh, inform how you move in a real confrontation. Uh, we've got a whole scenario side to the program that uh, is all about understanding how to reverse engineer safer scientific scenarios and that's where the development of high gear became a huge asset and then we've got a whole program you alluded to it early the no fear program spelled k-n-o-w and that's understanding the difference between physiology of fear and the psychology of fear uh you know everyone throws around fight flight freeze uh that stuff in my opinion is irrelevant because the way that it's taught and understood it's it's just part of your DNA survival, and it's what we do during extreme danger. Uh, the reality is, in a violent encounter, you need to choose your responses. There's a time to run. There's a time to, fight, there's a time to play dead or hide. Yeah. But if you're going, if you're if you're just following, like the uh, 
academic definitions from pipeline freeze as opposed to more to observation. Uh, and uh, a lot of times, you know, we refer to the animal kingdom as evidence for this earth. I, I just want to stop. Stand by. As you can tell, I'm outside. Um, the, uh, um, so those, those, I, I'm more interested in the dynamic here because we need to be our own coach in the high stress situation. Our self talk is paramount, critical uh, to what we're going to do next. There's no coach in a violent encounter. Yep. Uh, so it's you. So, so what we've done over the last 40 years, uh, is put together truly a coherent and cohesive program that blends first and foremost uh, understanding between the psychology and the physiology component because physiology overrides physicality in a real confrontation. Uh, You know, that means, you know, the cool move that you practice is probably not going to happen. And there's, there's, there's so much evidence of that uh, in whether it's uh, shootouts, knife fights, or um, uh, fist fights, yep. You know, and it's what we we call our 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 scenario training evidence based scenario training because we use real examples, and uh, you know, so those three divisions: understanding the physiology, uh, psychology connection. Uh, so we've got a whole uh, uh, fear management, managing fear, managing violence component. Then we teach people how to weaponize the startle flinch. Uh, and then how to move from the uh, where where that position places you. So when you flinch in a certain way, your your body deploys kind of like an organic airbag. There's contact made, and then you need to engage the threat with what we call close target. So there's some spontaneity training there. And when you finally create the space, and everything I'm describing can take like a second. That is like it's like a car accident. It's done, um, and. Uh, and then from there, you, you need to understand some of the legal stuff, of course. So, you know, you know force must parallel danger. And then how do you put that together? How do you stress inoculate? So we've been doing scenario training literally since 1980. And uh, we wrote the book on a lot of it. And, and now I mean, we train all over. I'm a consultant for multiple Department of Defenses and other specialty units that have been for decades. And um, yeah, so my original fear as a kid playing every sport. I was a good athlete. I was just always way too afraid. And it consumed me to the point where, um, uh, you know, I developed, you know, I, I, I went into self-defense after or getting jumped by two guys. Uh, and that kind of was the origin story. Like, I felt like learning martial arts was going to help me overcome my fear everywhere. It didn't. But, I, uh, everything that I've discovered has been because of my involvement with martial arts. So I have that to thank. Yeah. Kind of the genesis of the whole thing. Yeah. Talk about, cause I've, <clears throat> like I said, I've been following you for a while and I understand the startle flinch and going through the protector symposium. Uh, like I did hearing you talk about that. It, it's fascinating. And, you know, it's based on natural movements, right? Like, how did you, how did you figure that all out? Yeah, cool. Um, 1986, 87, um, I was doing some uh, 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 drills. Well, I was always like, remember, I started doing uh, scenario training in 1980. So I had observed a flinch, startle flinch, uh, just like we all have. We just don't know we're looking at it. You know, like, you know, you're watching a boxing match. There's tons of flinching going on. Yep. You watch an MMA match. There's tons of flinching going on. Uh, we just, we just never noticed it when you, you know, you look at uh, all those viral pictures that go on the internet, you know, like a baseball goes into the crowd and everyone's flinching, but never in the media does it say, Hey, look at the cross extensor reflex activating here to push away danger. Yeah. Nobody says, Oh, look at the, look at the speed of the non-conscious brain. It's, it's, uh, superseding any type of, of cognitive brain communication. Like nobody's saying anything. They're going, you know, you know, a lady gets hit in the face with a basketball and everyone's laughing, but they're not looking at really the human weapon system at work and what it's doing for the people who, who saw 
you know, the, 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 the attack, you know, in this case, basketball, baseball, whatever. So, um, there's a part of our brain called the reticular activating system. And if we don't know what we're looking for, if we don't know what's important, you're not going to identify it. You just, you know, your brain is processing, you know, millions and millions of bits of information, uh, but it can only focus on certain things. So, which is why, you know, you, you're driving and your phone chirps and you miss your exit because you can't, <laughs> you can't process all the information. Um, so fast or go back in time and then fast forward. Uh, I was very, very introspective in all uh, doing what I call like surgical isolation drills. So I would look at violent uh, encounters. I would study stuff. I'd go like, what was that move there? What did that, is that something I should know? And um, we do these isolation drills. So one day I come in and one of my students, this kid named Warren, uh, really good boxer. Uh, he was having a private lesson. I said, hey, Warren, I hallucinated this drill. I want to try it with you. He's like, okay, coach, what? I said, I'm going to put on mouth guard. You put on those boxing gloves. And now you start a conversation with me. We're going to be within arm's reach. And whenever you want, just punch me anywhere in the body. Punch me in the face, punch me in the stomach, whatever you want. Just hit me while we're talking. And um, I want to see my, my original hypothesis was would does having a conversation change your reaction time and if so to what degree and then how does that factor with time really interesting experiment right because think about when you're doing your knife fighting or your gun fighting or your boxing you're not talking right so you're you know you're in the ring you tap gloves you go hey i've got my mouth guard don't hit me in the face or what are the rules no rules whatever and then all you're doing is you're breathing and you're doing your sparring uh same thing when you do cqb if you're doing force on force paintball ammunition utm you're not talking, you know, you might yell, but you're not like, it's not a conversation. And so I had this hypothesis. So Warren agrees to do it. He starts talking. He asks me a question in the middle of the sentence. He rips and hits me clean in the face, uh, turns me into a Pez dispenser for anybody who remembers <laughs> what a Pez dispenser looked like. Yeah. Right. And he looks, he looks at me and he goes like that. And I'm like, fuck, holy shit. Like I didn't even, because he had, he had asked me something. Um, personal about a family member. Yep. But but he was acting. That was part of his. He was just role playing. Yeah. But for a nat for a nano moment, you know, uh, like if I said to you, Jim, hey, uh, can we take a five minute break to go to the bathroom? Like, am I acting now, or did I just ask you? Yeah. So, it, you know, your brain has to go. Is that live or memorix? Is he doing the scenario, or does he really need to go to the bathroom? And boom, he nailed he nailed. Asked me something about his sister. I was like, is he really asking me? Did, this, did, did the drill start? Boom, snap, he tells me. And then we went into stuff where he'd go, hey, uh, the boss wants his money back. So right away I'd go, okay, I borrowed money from some bad guys. And then I'd say, hey, man, I need a couple more days. we just start role-playing. And then, slam, he'd, he'd fire a shot. Yeah. And, and it was fascinating what started to happen. Because the refractory delay between stimulus response was so much bigger as a result of the conversation. And if I, and if it was a conversation where you had to also make believe. So if I said to you, I said, Hey Jim, uh, we're going to role play now. Uh, you know, what's your favorite handgun for concealed carry? Yeah. Like, even though we're role playing, you know, that information. So, uh, uh, handily. And it's, it's, it's in your short term working memory. You could integrate that into the role playing but also consciously and consciously monitor the fact that, yeah, I'm in a scenario I'm talking about a trick me. But if I said, but if I said to you, you know, something like, uh, hey, uh, Jim, we've got company coming over, I'm going to need you to explore and get me. Well, yeah. And then, and then, like, right there, if I threw a punch right there, let's out that we were at range. Because your brain's going, quail eggs, what section, right? So I know this this might seem like, like, like very bizarre for your audience, listeners, but, uh, this is so important, especially in, in personal safety, when you're distracted by like a behavioral distraction or someone asking for directions, yep. someone asking you a question that's a non a non sequitur, and you're like, hey man, sorry, I can't help you. And you you know, part of you knows your spider sense is going something's off, but they asked you a real question. So I like wow. Um anyways, I started getting nailed. 
And I started noticing, and this is like in the 80s, we're using, we're recording it with the old VHS, right. RCA VHS stuff, right? Like, yeah. like half your audience doesn't even know what VHS is, but, Probably um, not. uh, but, but it was, it was an amazing experience because about halfway through, I started noticing that, that I would flinch when he asked me a question where I was really like in make believe land. Like I was like, now I was just an actor. And, and so I was so out of my, that, okay, get ready, get ready. Like when you're sparring, you're ready. I call this, I call this, if you have, if you have consent and awareness, you have preparedness. So yep. consent, awareness, and preparedness. And this type of role playing stuff, you've consented to the drill. You're sort of prepared, but the dialogue changes your situation awareness. And if you have no awareness, you have no chance. So just, you know, but I started noticing when I got really surprised that my survival system did this crazy startle flinch, covering the head, pushing away danger. I didn't have, now I've got eloquent language. Now I can explain the cross extensor reflex. It, it deploys at a non-conscious uh, uh, level. Uh, executive function is hijacked. That, that uh, prevents you from accessing cognitive brain storage of complex motor skills. So if I said to you, Jim, you're a trauma guy, uh, uh, practitioner, what would you do if a guy had a gun like this? Well, in, in the safety of that question, your brain downloads the right theoretical answer and you go, well, <laughs> let me show you this move straight <laughs> yeah. punch. Him. Right. Yeah. And you do more. But, but there's, um, a ton of evidence. And that's not what happens in the real fight. Yeah. And that's because, the scenario is new and the emotional, psychological overwhelm impacts the relationship between cognitive and brain. So, so my decades of research, I went, you know what? Holy shit. Our 100,000 year old survival DNA that kept our cavemen, you know, alive when, when they started fighting other cavemen, um, that's still in us. Yeah. And in a, in a high speed stress or, you know, our definition for the whole startle flinch concept is if a stimulus, if a violent, dangerous stimulus is introduced too quickly, your body will flinch. And it doesn't have to be violent or dangerous. If a butterfly flies into your blind spot as you're turning to ask somebody a question, you're going to flinch. You're just not going to yell after and then, you know, start fighting. You know, you bring so up you, the... You, yeah, uh, you bring up the butterfly. I remember in the symposium you were t using the example of the spider web, right? Like nobody walks through right. that shit all casual and whatever. They're like flailing their arms about. Um, and just this morning going out to work in my yard, I walked through a giant spider web and did exactly that. I was like, yep, <laughs> proof in the proof, case in point right there. Yeah, and, and so, you know, most people are embarrassed by that. I'm fascinated by it, and, and I spent most of my life figuring out how to weaponize that well, and, I, and what that, in fact, good. No, I was just going to say, well, I think that's what's most fascinating about your research and what you've, you know, gone so far as to weaponize, because, you know, for me, talking about the startle flinch uh, move, humans in their very nature have a built-in protection mechanism and it's like even after all these all these centuries and thousands of years right it's still built into us i mean i don't know anybody that has you know you showed some pictures of baseball bats coming at you right i don't know anybody that stands in front of a baseball or a baseball bat flying at whatever speed at them and they just stand there and take the hit right unless they're completely caught off guard but if you get any clue or sense that 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 danger is coming at you, your immediate response is to throw arms up or duck or whatever it looks like. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and, and you know, that's what we tell people. You can be a tier one operator. You can be an MMA fighter. You can have zero training. The cross-extensor reflex of pushing away danger, cover your head, push away danger, looks uniform. In fact, uh, it's across the human species, regardless of gender and uh, regardless of training. And that's, that's actually a line out of a, uh, a neuroscience manual, you know, so, you know, the, the, the guys with the big, big brains doing, <laughs> doing stuff like at, at places like Stanford and things like that, yeah. they'll, they may or may not know how to fight, but they, they, they recognize 
you know, how the brain works and what it does. They've got the so, data aspects you know, figured out. Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 you know, for my, my hypothesis and my, and my method makes anyone safer sooner. And I use it as a, I, I reference it, it uh, uh, I use the organic airbag metaphor, uh, yeah. meaning, you know, airbags save lives, uh, air, you know, airbags save lives and your startle flinch is an organic airbag and where the, the technical airbag, the one that's in your car, uh, as cool as it is, the car needs to get hit for it to deploy. It yeah. needs pressure. Uh, our airbag just needs threat. That's amazing. So if I start to throw a punch at you, you're, you'll start to flinch. If I, if I grab an improvised weapon and I pick up that ashtray and I start to, you know, lock and load it to throw it at you, if you're picking up that, your hands already start to move. Your fingers start to play, your, uh, splay. Your hands come up to protect your head. Um, and it's an amazing thing if you learn how to weaponize it. So we figured out kind of, uh, you know, we, we, we have uh, a series of very cool drills to do that. Yeah. The hard thing in the type A uh, world that is martial artists, that is defensive tactics instructors, is everyone has an unconscious bias and it's unconscious, so it's hard to discuss, of uh, that it's, they're, they're Taekwondo, they're Krav Maga, they're Jiu Jitsu, they're Muay Thai, they're MMA, you know, they're boxing, is all that's needed. And the unconscious bias is our, is our blind spot. So if you ask me, do I box? Yes. Do I practice practice arms? Yes. Do I practice knife? Yes. Do I practice offensive defenses? Yes. Do I practice ground fighting? Yes. Do I do conditioning? Yes. Do I strengthen my hands? Yes. Do I work on situational? Yes. So I don't have an unconscious bias. I have a conscious bias. Yeah. Like of, you know, what, what are, I look at, I look at the news, I look at events and, you know, so when, when, you know, we started having mostly peaceful protests, you know, Mostly peaceful. <laughs> I start looking. Yeah, mostly. Um, I I start going. Okay, if I were caught there, what what are my moves? What do I do? And and so I would look at any any incident, and then I'd reverse engineer strategies. So I had you know, so I had plans. Not that they're perfect, but the idea is, is so between you know something happens. That's the stimulus. You need to respond. In between stimulus responses where you, you freeze with fear, you pass out, you get knocked out, you get maimed, you get killed, you run away. Like there's, there's, there's got to be neuromuscular activity as soon as that stimulus happens. And the faster you can decide what you're going to do, the faster you start to move towards safety. Um, problem is if you've never thought about something. So one of our maxims is no awareness, no chance. Yeah. If you've never thought of what you would do, it drives me crazy. Uh, you know, anytime there's a shooting, like anybody who carries goes, I stupid games, win stupid prizes, that's why I carry. And I go like, not everybody carries all the time. You can't carry all the time. You can't just pull your gun out. You can only pull your gun out in an active shooter situation immediately if you were hit or run over or the target. Because... What's going to happen if you're in the kill zone and shots start coming at you, your body's reactive brain, the whole startle flinch that I've been talking about this whole podcast kicks in, it hijacks executive function. Yep. And, and people don't want to hear that, but I go like, it's your blind spot and that will, and your blind spot is the kill zone for you because it's an area you're not even going to look at. Yeah, because there's a there's at least a few moments of hesitation of doing what it is you've been trained to do and doing what it is you think you would just do by nature, right? The goal is to always make that as short as possible. Yeah. And as and to make sure your training as realistic as possible. And and a lot of training is not very realistic. Touching back on what we were talking about a minute ago, what you were talking about a minute ago, where you were facing up the guy, the boxer, and he would approach you with a question and then that's where he would smack you right and it seems like a lot of your program is based on reaction right startle flinch but there's some merit to that question you know i've heard before that in a fight if you need to go you ask them a question at the last minute like hey does your mom like playing pool or whatever the question is because that moment 
switches their brain from the conflict that you guys might be having to what did he just ask me? And then that's the point to strike. Like, have you uh, worked in that technique to get the drop on the other person instead of everything being reactionary? Of course. Uh, 100%. So we have a whole system. So we've broken down. I, I have a whole... A lesson presentation called the timeline of violence and it and it shows uh kind of mental blueprints and physical blueprints for different types of attacks there are certain things going to happen in, a, in uh, an attempt happening an attempted rape an attempted robbery there's certain uh pre-contact uh cues. so we break we break that down it's a, you know it's a thirty thousand foot view so it gives you that it's almost like going for a walk on a trail, you know, if you, you know, you go to a state park, if you look at the route, you know, and you kind of look at the map, you go, Oh, that looks like a good trail. And you got to kind of like that bird's eye view. You don't feel as, um, stressed. If like in the middle of the walk, you go, how far, how much further is it? You kind of know where you are. So this, there's, there's this orientation effect by understanding this time of violence inside of that. We break down all these blocks. The key blocks is you know, understanding where the ambush would take place. And then we break that down by talking about D1, D2, D3, we'll call it detect, avoid. D2 is defuse, de escalate, D3 is defend. Uh, during the defuse part is a whole section of education on choice speech. And choice speech is where I am using uh, dialogue morally ethically legally diffuse it because that's you know my good human obligation yeah. and and um if i my intuition and my intelligence and my instincts say yeah this isn't going away i'm in a lot of danger here and then i'm using the choice speech that dialogue to change my state in other words to to regulate make sure i've got the right amount of stuff going that body whether it's combat breathing, whether it's just realizing, oh, fuck, here we go. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes we go, very often in a dangerous moment, you go into denial. It's very normal for anyone, even somebody trained, going, no fucking way, I don't believe this. While you're saying that, you know, you, you, you think about what's going on overseas right now, there's a lot of really trained people, but I guarantee that they need to m- manage their thoughts of, like you're sitting there going, I wonder if this is where I'm going to die. I wonder if we're going to be rescued. I wonder if, and those are negative thoughts. They're not strategic thoughts, right? Because you're 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 trying to be hopeful, but because but you because you're feeling helpless. Those are the thoughts that are manifesting in your mind. Yep. Um, so so we we talk a lot about self talk, as I mentioned earlier, yep. that coaching positive um, self self talk. Yep. Yeah, and it, but it's. Yeah, we want to be careful to not just categorize it as like, you know, positive self-talk. I know, I know, semantically, I know what you mean. I agree, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's, uh, uh, but we will. So there's, there's a, there's a pivot point during a de-escalation phase where, you know, while you're talking, the bad guy can attack you. Yep. So we talk, we talk about that, that, that's protective movement. And we do a ton of, uh, very, very, advanced evolved um pre-contact cue development so where we're isolating auditory visual tactile stimuli and cataloging them in your brain so all of the all of this uh kind of educate the anticipatory cells in the brain and it reduces your reaction time it's fucking amazing um and that but then there's a part where yeah let me let me just like let me go part two here it'll answer your question so so then there's a part where, because you asked me, would you, you know, do you ever look use dialogue to set up your own preemptive strike, which is a fancy way to say sucker punch. Um, sure. The uh, uh, if I realize that the only way out of this is going to be with you know physical violence, that I've got to do something. I'm now selecting what I need to do because force must always parallel danger, and I obviously want the last guy to know that he's about to get hit to be the guy I need to hit. So we use dialogue there, uh, but we don't say a lot of times when you hear like 
like your example, hey, does your mom like, you know, a lot of times in the industry, you'll hear like these non sequiturs where if you're at the wrong distance or the guy has used stuff like that, that's now misinformation and can alert him that he's about, that something's about to happen. Sure. So, so we, we take it a step further and talk about congruent dialogue. So it's not misinformation, it's disinformation. And so if I wanted to hit you, let's say you know, you're, you're robbing me at an ATM. Yep. And I went, oh, fuck. If, if I can distract him, I know I can clear that gut and head that disarm and then headbutt this guy. Um, and I go, hey, uh, is it true that your mom's allergic to shellfish? And the guy goes, <laughs> boom, and shoots me in the face, right? Because like, you know, like he's going, hey, you know, like... I, and when people when people ask me that stuff in a seminar, I go, "What if what if the guy's mom is dead? What if he doesn't have a mom? He's a doctor. Like you're now, you just pissed him off. You just you know, yeah. But I was gonna say, no. Why why can't you use something congruent with what's going on? So now the guy's got the gun on me. I'm I've just taken money out, and the guy's there, and I go, dude, I only took out a hundred bucks. I've got a daily li- you know limit of of five hundred dollars." Let me take the rest out and give it to you. Obviously, you need money if you're robbing people, right? What I'm really doing is getting him to think about extra money, maybe his conscience and accountability about robbing people, and maybe I've created some delay and I'm reading his body language and I'm getting ready to move, but he can't look at me and go, you're trying to trick me and hit me, aren't you? Because what I said, although it's disinformation, I'm not going to take the money out. Right. I'm not going to... I'm not going to have a nice conversation with him. I want to fucking drop this guy yep. if I think I can do it safely. But I'm using what I love to refer as disinformation stuff where if you're thinking about it, you have no idea if I'm telling the truth or not. Yep. And that way you have to contemplate it. Yep. Interesting, right? Just creates a little bit of hesitation of the moment that you're looking for. Yeah. Going back to this, uh, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, right? You know, I, I yeah. can remember a time that I thought someone had broken into my house. It was early in the morning, and I was sound asleep, and I heard glass shatter. This was years ago. Right. And uh, I had my pistol at my nightstand, you know, and so I I sit up in bed, and I grab my handgun, and this is before I know and you know, whatever that I do now, but I grabbed my handgun, but I couldn't get off the bed. I literally froze in space. It seemed like an eternity, but I finally got up and went to the door. And that was before I learned that clearing my own house isn't the best idea. You know, that was long before I've learned what I've learned now. But like, I remember that moment very vividly freezing up and not being able to stand up off my bed. Uh, how do you work right. through that? You know, is it is it uh, <clears throat> training? Is it thinking through scenarios so that when a scenario you've thought of happens, you're better able to react? Like, what do you do with that freezing aspect? Or how do you overcome that freezing aspect? Yeah, so there's a... Um, there's... A, a, a term in the psychology of office called tonic immobility. Um, I'm not fond of it, you know, like 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 every day somebody's got a uh, there's a new gender, there's a new term, there's a new drug, there's a new, you know, and, and so tonic immobility is a, and I'm not trying to diminish what happens, but it's 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 uh, it's like an involuntary paralysis. Yeah. And, and people can't move. So when I first heard of it, um, uh, I was like, hey, is that like somebody coming up with a fancy way to say freeze? Because it used to be fight, flight, freeze. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and listen, you know, I want to apologize in advance to you, you know, anyone who's done deeper research on it, if it's something else. But my understanding was that, you know, when I sent this article going, hey, have you heard about this tonic mobility? And I was like, is that like a fancy way to say freeze now? Like, like let's right. just make things even even less accessible to the general public by using scarier terms. Well, you know, you um, make a great point. Like, we have to come up with a new term for it so that we can then come up with a new drug for it. <laughs> right. Right. So the um, uh, the to go back to your question, every. When you 
So here's some interesting stuff about the startle flinch. When you flinch, your body contracts at a uh, super super speed and it's violent. Like it's like it's your survival reflex. Like you know, this is part of our DNA, and so you hear broken glass and and what was it something fell and broke and, and it, it wasn't a bad guy obviously it turns out to be a picture bottle, frame yep turned out to be a picture yeah. frame in my office yeah. shattered all over the place right so why you should have known that i'm joking like how would you know because like if somebody <laughs> you know if, if somebody put their elbow through the back door to the kitchen and the glass hit the floor it's going to sound exactly the same exactly the same breaking yeah. and falling yeah so so even if you did drills where we sat there and I broke a picture frame and I broke the back door. Um, eventually your body would start to go, Oh, the proximity of that glass break, not necessarily the sound of it, but the proximity of that glass break, that's in the house. That's not us. And you know, you, let's say you do another dozen reps and you go, huh? There's the sound of the elbow from the outside breaking the glass and then glass hitting the floor. There's actually two sounds when somebody's breaking into your house where there's only one sound when a picture falls, right? Yeah. So the, the frame hits the floor and the glass breaks. So this is really interesting when you're starting to think about pre-contact indicators, Yeah. but that only becomes a factor if you're the sentry. If you're asleep, your brain just hears broken glass and you sit up. So now, that I was just teasing you and your listeners with like how you can go on some of this stuff. It doesn't matter because the assumption, remember, no awareness, no chance. Yeah. And if you're asleep, you have no awareness. So you suddenly wake up you, you and what your brain immediately does. So I love using the acronym false expectations appearing real false expectations. appearing real is the movie in your mind. As soon as, as soon as you woke up your brain, your mind created a movie of an intruder or more, in the house and you may not even remember this you know if you happen to be watching the way the walking dead that week it's like guys in your house with with baseball bats with yeah. barbed wire on them <laughs> you know maybe they're 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 two guys there's three guys they're zombies and this is happening like at, at like in a nanosecond like it's like when you wake up from a bad dream and you're sweating and you're sitting there so so your brain is doing that part of your hypothetical self-defense skills because you weren't really trained back then and you are now is you grabbed your gun but you weren't ready to grab your gun it was almost like it was almost like you know there's a question i ask in our train the trainer courses i go how, how did how does a lifeguard drown a lifeguard is an amazing swimmer so how could a lifeguard possibly drown well the lifeguard drowns trying to save somebody because the person grabs onto the lifeguard panicking going yeah the lifeguard's floating Yes, I'm not. Do. I'm going to hold on to the lifeguard. Yep. That's right. Exactly. What happened. And so, so in, in the old days, uh, combat swimming lifeguards were taught how to headbutt an elbow. Cause if you were rescuing somebody and they started to pull you down, you were told you got to knock this guy out knock or you're both going to die. Yep. Sure. Right? Sure did. So, so when you sat up like that and grabbed your gun, your gun was the lifeguard, but you hadn't started swimming. Yeah. Does that metaphor make sense? Yeah, it sure does. So what you what, so what you need to do um, is create a like little routines to stress inoculate uh, your body and your mind, and so you would start obviously without the scare. You would just start clearing your house the way the way you would do it if you really thought there was a home invasion. Yeah, and and you would slowly incorporate. You would do your research and go, okay, you know, how do I how do I not expose myself? How do I close clear rooms? You know, where should I carry a light? Should I carry a light? Should it be in this hand or over the gun? Yep. You know, sure. You know, you, you get whatever resonates with you. Uh, you figure out, you know, then you start thinking about where am I going to stash improvised weapons? What do I do with my kids? And you like, you start going through every detail. Now you don't do it all at once because that can be fucking overwhelming. Overwhelming. Yeah. You, you know, but you get, you get to the point where you know the route, you know, your routine, then you start doing it and you do it with an empty gun and then, and then you do it, uh, with, uh, uh, a magazine in the gun and then you do it with a round in the chamber if there's nobody home, right? You know, like, like if I do clearing in my house with an empty gun, 
I can still create a, a start of like not a start of flinch, a physiological change in my body because I'm not doing it with my cert pistol. You know, I'm not using a training pistol. Right. When I put a real gun in my hand, I, I can feel my physiology change. And if I if I if I slam that magazine in there, it changes again. And then if I when I grab the slide and chamber around, I'm immediately aware. Hey, the kids are home. The wife is upstairs. I'm just practicing doing this, practicing getting the gun out you know, making sure it's ready. And I'm aware that somebody could come into my garage or into my room and go, hey, dad, and come running into the room and see me standing there with a gun and go, what are you doing? Like, yeah. like you know, so uh, what I'm talking about to your audience, if, 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 if you're into firearms at home defense, stuff like that, is every potential run, every iteration you can use if you're introspective and you're working on self-awareness, you use it and monitor your physiology, meaning your, are you parasympathetic? Are you sympathetic? Where should you be? How's your breathing? Because if you do, every time you do a rep, like a quality rep, yeah. you stress inoculate. So it gets easier and easier. Yeah. So if you got to the point where if I said to you, hey, for the next week, I want you to uh, clear your house three times a day. Then I want you to set an alarm at 3 a.m., and as soon as the alarm goes off, clear your house. Okay? And then what I'm going to have you do is, is uh, you're going to have a friend help you out where leave your, your phone on. And what they're going to do is they're going to call you at a time you don't know, because now you know you set your alarm at three. Yeah. They're going to call you whenever, and they're going to give you some code. That means there's somebody in your house, and you're going to clear it. Yeah. But now it's a surprise. Yeah. Right? So... Well, what you're doing is you're you're doing quality reps where you're changing the stimulus, but you're executing the plan. And now, God forbid, you hear glass break. What happens is it's like Pavlov's dog. The bell goes off. Yep. Boom! You grab your gun, and 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 you're and you go hunting. Um, and then you go, oh fuck! Now here's the the most important thing. So in my research on fear, I tell people you can't be brave if you're not afraid. It's one of the most powerful lines out of our program. Most people, especially macho guys, type A personalities, and I'm describing you, me, and everybody listening, even though that sounds derogatory, you know, we're, we're, we're type A. Let's go. We're training. Um, it, when I say you can't be brave if you're not afraid, you got to see everyone's face in the class. The primary ingredient for courage is fear. If there's no fear, there's no need for courage. There is no fear for bravery, yeah, yeah. Right? You get it? Yeah. So, like, so when you get a fear spike, you don't feel very courageous because you don't understand the commodity that is fear. And that's, that's the basis of my No Fear program is turning fear into fuel. It's a very cool concept. Um, and my whole life I lived with that. Like, I was a really good skier, wrestler, gymnast, all these things. But I was so afraid when I'd go to compete that it would impact my potential. And yeah. so I would just get through the competition. You would never notice looking at me because I was always in good shape. I always showed up. So it wasn't like self-sabotage and, oh, I didn't make it. I was there. I was competing. But it was like, you know, everyone was just always better. But I realized that they were better. Years later, I couldn't articulate this when I was young. Yeah. They were better because because the mind navigates the body they under they they either naturally or had the proper coaching to teach them the importance of of uh proper self-talk yeah and um and meta you know, and manifesting like, like a positive outcome right that's so important part of that yeah mindset and it doesn't is. always happen that's that yeah that's that's the tricky thing jeff is you know you're up at bat and you're going don't fucking strike out man the team needs you <laughs> don't right? miss yeah like that's but that's putting so much pressure on yourself because you're motivating through a negative. Yeah. Versus standing up there going, going, come on, you got this. Come on, you fucking, you, 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 you're like, and it's, you know, it's not like you're the best player, you're going to win the game. It's like, it, it can't be cheesy stuff. And everyone, here's something I learned coaching uh, amateur and pro athletes, coaching business people, coaching pro, you know, like tier one operators. Everyone's personality and psychology, although the, the, the hardware, and the software to a certain level is identical, right? Yeah. You know, like, you know, they, but like every snowflake's different. But if you look at them, they go, oh, look at those snowflakes. Oh, there's a blizzard. You know, they all look the same. Yeah. So we all look the same in line. 
Okay, range is hot. We all look the same. But one guy I walk up to need I need to to say to him, "Come on, man, you got this." Another person I might say, "Hey, if you wait too long, the guy's going to shoot you first." Right. <laughs> like like you you know humor, sarcasm, yeah, uh, pressure. It, it it so I I, I noticed this um, training fighters is that. If, if you're a coach and you've got a team, if you don't take the time to understand each code, each fighter's fears and their psychology, you can't just come at them with like that, you know, like, you know, positive psychology thing. Guys, everyone deserves to be here. You're all winners, even if you lose. <laughs> like, like at a certain level, somebody goes, shut up, man. You know, yeah. I, I need to win this fight because I got to feed my kids. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you know, someone someone else might say, "Hang on, tell it out there." You know, someone else might be. I, I remember uh, uh, I was on two of the Ultimate Fighter shows as uh, kind of like an adjunct guest, once with Frank Mir, another my friend Kieran Fitzgibbons, who runs one of the best fight gyms in the world sure. Academy, and he and he brought me on, and it was the the year that uh, uh, Henry Cejudo won, and uh, they brought me on to talk about fear management. And that year, everybody competing was a pro fighter. Were they pros? I can't remember. They were they were already world champions by their amateur pros. They all had like 100 fights. Everyone had busted scars. In other words, like a lot of the ultimate fighters are guys are amateurs. They're, they're new. No one's heard of them. These guys were all uh, national champs. Sure. And uh, so I sat there. There's 12 of them sitting in the octopus. And I said, okay, let's talk about fear. Who's got fear before him? Only two guys put their hands up. Because, you know, if you have 100 fights, you're like, whatever, this is my job, man. Fuck it, let's go. Yeah. You know? Uh, and and so I said to the other 10, I said, none of you have fears? They're like, no, man. No, we like fighting. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. And I point to one <laughs> of the guys. I go, uh, how badly do you want this UFC contract? He goes, very badly. I said, does your life change if you get it? I go, yeah. Does your life change if you don't get it? He goes, yeah. I go, how many sponsors do you have? None. I said, are you thinking about potential sponsors? Yeah. I said, are, anything that I'm bringing up now, have you thought about before now? He says, yeah, all the time. I said, those are fears. That's in the back of your mind. I got to win this. Yeah. And so when I asked who's got fear, everyone thought I meant of fighting. Yeah. So this is very subtle because... And, and really deep and connected to you go to clear your house. If you start clearing your house and your heart rate, even if it's in a simulation gym, you go, Hey, Tony gave me some good ideas. I'm going to do that tonight at two in the morning. I'm going to clear the house. If your heart rate doesn't change, then there's something wrong. Oh, there's something bad. You, wrong. You, yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, and so, but a lot of times people are cavalier. And then if you have an ego, or you don't have good self awareness. Yeah. You don't realize you don't realize that um, like it's your I always tell people self awareness informs situational awareness. Yeah. So if you're yeah. too cocky or arrogant or, yeah. or whatever, that's also your blind spot. Which, Ego's a killer. Which, yeah. 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 So and, and I, you know, I just tell this go, just real quick, going back to my situation, you know, since that time I've learned the importance of playing scenarios through my mind. In fact, we did a podcast on that some time ago. You know, the place that scenario, playing through scenarios has, right? Someone that's thought yep. through something one time, I would argue, is better prepared than the person that's never given it any consideration. And then for me personally, since I don't have kids and because of my particular situation, I wouldn't be going pying off rooms in my house. I'm going to stay in my safe room. I've got my firearms. I've got my gear that I've set out for myself in my safe room. I would stay there. So that's my approach, right? That's what I've figured out that's appropriate for me since that time. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you, when you're designing a scenario, you know, you start, you start with what you can control. And so if that's that room, you know, you, you, you play that out and if, and when you move or your scenario changes or you go, well, what if I have to take the fight to them? Yep. You know, how do I get out of my room? Yep. Uh, so, uh, you know, you start to explore that, but, but this, I've already kind of laid out, uh, this. but the big, the big thing there, what I wanted to say to everyone listening yeah. is when you truly do a scenario, 
um, there should be an element of fear, even if it's a simulation. Uh, because what you're doing is you're imagining it's real and it should change your physiology. A lot of times when people do force training or knife fighting or paintball stuff, everyone's fucking laughing, high-fiving and joking around. I remember I did one of my knife seminars. Two guys came together and you know, we're just using training knives. But, you know, while we're talking and demoing, like I see them, like, you know, poking each other with their knife, you know, uh, and it's what guys do. You've done it. I've done it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's your buddy and you go, I got you, man. Um, after the seminar started, I said, nobody plays with their weapon. And then I quoted uh, a line that, uh, from, uh, that Patton said, during World War II, he didn't let his troops play any color games. He said, you, you never played your weapon or rode the weapons as I could do. And, uh, so, when the seminar, when the seminar went live, I would tell people, I don't want to see anybody joking, laughing. I want you to pretend it's real. And, uh, if, if this rubber knife isn't real, uh, realistic enough for you, I got another waiver and I'll let you use a real knife or let your partner use a real knife. I mean, so that you use the rubber knife and he's got the real knife. And everyone like, look at me like, holy fuck. Yeah. It changes. Too intense. But, but I think but, that's, but it was, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, I think taking those training situations and thinking through those scenarios in a serious manner, like, yeah, you're training with cert pistols or you're playing with rubber knives, whatever it is. The moment that you start, stop, I should say, treating them as toys and treating them the same, like I believe that cert pistols should be handled in the same manner as a live firearm. That's just me, right? So oftentimes they're not, but in my opinion, they should be. Um, you know, it adds an element of realness. And like you said, if your heart rate doesn't change, if you if it doesn't just change the way you're thinking through the scenario, there's something wrong with you. I haven't been through a lot of CQB, house clearing, whatever, but I've done my share. And if your heart rate's not up, especially when the gunfight starts, if it starts, because you never know what you walk into in a room, right? If it starts, uh, it changes your mindset for sure about that playtime, right? It's no longer playtime at the end of the day. Right. Uh, I want to shift yeah. gears because I know we're close on time. Yeah, go for it. Um, you've sure. said two things uh, over time. Uh, that resonate with me and align with what the message is I'm trying to get out. And, you know, part of my mission is just to get people more invested in their personal safety, right? And you said uh, right. a couple of things, one of which I took away from the protector and symposium, and one you say pretty frequently, but one is be your own bodyguard. And that kind of aligns with the whole be your first your own first responder, right? Because you can't rely on the times. You don't know where you'll be and what help will arrive. I think that's important for people to understand. And the way you say it, be your own body bodyguard relative to self-defense, I think is just a, another way of saying that. But the other thing that you said um, or say regularly, and I'm trying to think here, and I know you've said it a couple of different ways, is the ability to protect yourself and your loved one is the single most important skill anyone can possess. And so I would piggyback on that by saying, and I asked you this once online some time ago, but how do we get more people invested in their personal safety and taking responsibility for it? What What is your thoughts and philosophies there? Um, oh, listen, you, you can lead a horse to water. You can't, you can't make him drink. Um, uh, Listen, if I could make it, well, let me backtrack. You know, when I was 20, I was asked by a, a, a very successful businessman um, what I wanted to do. And I answered at 20, I want to make the world safer. Uh, yeah. And he looked at me, he was a venture capitalist. He looks at me and he goes, you don't think that's a little grandiose? <laughs> and I was like, that's all, that's, that's all I've been doing. Here's a guy who invests, he's a, a money investor in big ideas. And that was my big idea. And that's what I've been doing, you know, for the last 41 years. Uh, uh, not 20, so 21, 41 years. Uh, uh, every day. Uh, working on writing, 
filming, teaching, talking, coaching, trying to inspire people. Your own bodyguard courses to give Rainer, to probably the only guy that who's been in an actual women's shelter teaching women. Um, um, so I just say that because I want you and your audience to understand that I I do what I do, and then you know people look at me and they go, "That guy's paranoid." Someone else goes, that guy's prepared. Someone else goes, oh, I just want to do a one-day course. Someone else, I've got people that have been training with me for decades. Um, because you love preparedness, you know, my my messaging resonates with you. So you yep. connect with me, and, and, and now I'm on your podcast. Uh, I don't have to call you up and say, Jim, you should train this week. You go, oh, dude, I already trained three days, right? So, you know, we scratch our heads when, when we look at people who don't train and don't take uh, uh, the threat of violence seriously. Uh, you know, you asked you ask me if I, if, I knew, if I knew the answer, dude, I'd be on my own island with, with no mask and no government, uh, <laughs> just, you know, surfing and reading and, and zooming, you know, zoom calling people, right? Because why, why do I say that? Because if I knew what the answer was, then I'd be marketing that. I'd have a funnel where everybody who reads it goes, oh, I'm learning self-defense. So, uh, you know, I say uh, the closest I can get is the line that you quoted. And that is, um, you know, the ability to protect yourself or loved ones is arguably the single most important skill you could possess. Yeah. And, uh, I've had contrarians, you know, I got a lot of haters online. Sure. I got contrarians to go, they go, uh, that's not the most important skill. There's what about this? What about this? I go, if you're dead, nothing else is important. <laughs> like, like, and if, you're, and, and, and if your family has, has been killed, there's nothing else that's important uh, to you if you have a family uh, to start with. So, you know, uh, it, it, it's an interesting thing. It's meant to be philosophical not literal you you may be able to think of one or two things more important than the ability to protect yourself yeah. i can't right yeah. so you know I, I make the joke i make the joke that if i had a um a uh, guitar collection a car collection a stamp collection, and they were all worth millions of dollars and i had you know millions of dollars in the bank and all this stuff but i was also a, 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 de a devoted family man and i had kids and a wife and then someone said, Hey, you get to keep all your material possessions, but you know, we got to take your family or you can keep your family, but you got to give up all your material possessions. But what is a normal, kind, loving, good human going to do and say, Yeah, right. Yeah. So like, it's like, it's a silly question, but I, 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 I pose that hypothetical because unless you stole all the shit you have and you're not a piece of shit douchebag, you're not a thief, right? then you know that you could get back your stamp, guitar, car, money, because you're a hard worker and you figured it out once. You can do it again. Do it again. But you can't. Yeah, you can't. Um, you can't do it the other way around. No. So yeah, uh, yeah. So so my whole thing is like I'm always trying to work. Like if you read my Instagram or my Facebook, uh, certain pages all have different messaging. LinkedIn might be different than than my. Like my Instagram post today on fear was kind of very like fluffy, motivational, all on fear. Yeah. Um, you know, something horrific might happen in the news. And now I've got a very somber, you know, hey, let's wake the fuck up, folks. No doubt. Um, you know, so uh, I just try to be true to myself and realize that I can't train everybody in the world as much as I want to. And, uh, and, and then, the people who, who their personalities and goals resonate with my philosophy, they, they seek me and my team out and we have a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, talked to someone uh, some time ago and asked him the same question. <clears throat> and he said, it's not until something bad happens to someone that they start thinking about it and taking it seriously. And I was like, you know, that, that doesn't sit well with me, but I totally get it. Right. I, my, my thinking is <clears throat> not that you care, but my thinking is, is that just no, getting, away. 
getting the information out there and doing it, what it is you do, especially, and maybe even this podcast, just getting information out there. Cause I think it was Socrates, if I'm quoting right, that said, I can't teach you anything, but I might be able to make you think. And that really right. resonates with me and what the message is I'm trying to do. So, uh, I, I think all of this no, stuff no, is good. No. I, I, I agree. I agree with that. That's the reason, uh, you know, I used to start a newsletter once every month. Uh, and then when the lockdown happened, I started writing and I put up one like on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for a year. And then at the year, I, after a year, uh, I switched to three times a week and it was just, I'm just going to keep hammering people with this stuff because, because it, it like in the spirit of what Socrates said, maybe I'm going to make people think. Yeah, absolutely. You, you plant that seed and then one day they decide for, for a course. All you can hope is that you turn on the light bulb at some point, maybe. Important thing is just is, is of course you know like I said earlier no awareness no chance if we can get people to think more about situational awareness you can you can almost avert anything uh, if you just dial your, your situational awareness a little bit yeah. you don't need to study jujitsu for ten years or you know start competing in IPSC tournaments and stuff like that just improve your situational awareness yeah because it does. What is it you and a lot of people have said? A, fo- a fight avoided is a fight won, right? So de-escalation, yeah. situational awareness, all of that stuff is key. Uh, yeah, we, we, I, 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 I joke, Jim. I tell people I'm not going to teach you to fight. I'm going to teach you to not fight. Right. Our, <laughs> our, de- our, definition, our definition for self-defense is very unique, and, and it's, it's not part of the worldwide definition yet. If you Google... Um, uh, self-defense in almost any dictionary, it'll have something to the effect of, uh, you know, the legal right to um, uh, protect your property or your life, or the ability to protect your property or your life, or the act of protecting your property or life. The assumption, the linear logic and assumption by that definition alone is that the attack has already happened, and now I'm wrestling with a person. I'm uh, grappling with somebody over a knife to trying to stab me. By their mission. So we rewrote, my company put this several years ago, a decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. A decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. Now, I tell people always, you know, uh, uh, that choosing safety should never be confused with playing it safe. That sometimes the safest thing may be to run away. Sometimes the safest thing may be to play dead. Sometimes the safest thing may be to charge the threat. You need to figure it out. You need to use your instincts, your intuition your intelligence to figure it out in the moment. So, you know, um, you know, our approach coming full circle from asking me what I do is I've created a holistic, behaviorally based defense process. It's not just about the physical. It's not just about the psychological. It's understanding the neurobiology, the connection between physiology and physicality, understanding biomechanics, understanding what your body wants to do prior to any training. Uh, you know, what are the protective elements of that? And then how do you train that so that you weaponize your startup flinch, you manage your fear? And then that, that process right there is the equivalent of the organic airbag. One last metaphor for your audience. Yeah. You know, a sudden violent encounter is like a car accident. You're like a lot of people like think, well, I'm a, I'm a black belt. I'm a blue belt. I'm a this. And what they're doing is they're, 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 highlighting or emphasizing their skill set like that's all you need listen carefully to this yeah but i'm a black belt my friend's a black belt my my gun my friend's a good shooter this guy's a pro boxer you're emphasizing your skill set as if that's the only part of the equation required to survive thrive yeah and so i use this car accident metaphor if you're a really good driver then you would view it by that logic, be able to say, I will never get into a car accident because I'm a good driver. Well, the best race car drivers in the world get into car accidents, not because of their driving, because of the other driver. Other idiots on the road, yeah. 
you know, so if you're sitting there and let's say you're an amazing driver uh, and you're sitting there and somebody, you know, runs through a red light, a drunk driver, somebody texting or worse, uh, you accidentally cut somebody off. They lose their shit. They have a road rage moment and they hit your car, put you into a spin and the car crashes and then and then they jump out and they want to attack you. In other words. When you're in a car accident, if you're the good human, the good Samaritan, good driver, and you're in the car accident, it's not because of your skill, and it's not because of your situational awareness. It's because of the asshole. And I want everyone to understand the metaphor here is the home invasion, the assault, the, the, the strong arm robbery, the active shooter. These are like car accidents. You're minding your own business, and all of a sudden, fuck, bang, shit kicks off, and your skill set at the moment of contact is irrelevant. Yep. What is irrelevant in the car metaphor is did your airbag deploy? Now, if you've got a 67 Mustang and you're a real good driver and you fixed up your car and it's got like, you know, 600 horsepower engine and you got this amazing transmission and great brakes, ceramic brakes, it doesn't matter because somebody else hit you. But you know what that 67 Mustang doesn't have? Airbag. A fucking air, an airbag. <laughs> And so when people train with me, I'm teaching them how to install the airbag properly as human weapon systems so that they're safer in an accident. Yeah, that analogy works for me, for sure. Um, Tony, how can folks find you? Social media is the fastest, best way. I mean, my main website is blowertrainingsystems.com. That's our headquarter page, Blower, my last name, B-L-A. U-E-R trainingsystems.com um, and then from there you can go see High Gear No Fear uh, Spear all the stuff you know I'm on Instagram as Tony Blower or Spear.Systems Facebook is Tony Blower uh, LinkedIn is Tony Blower so it depends you can find me anywhere just Google yep awesome Tony thanks so much for doing this with us it's been fun okay Jim it was fun thank you thanks